I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And we are track walking. Almost had a wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> Trying to take off my hat and hit all the buttons at the same time. You did. You're, I was like, are we just going to start at the hat and work our way down? Because it's going to be a very awkward show yeah. if I can see Scott do all this stuff. Yeah, I decided to throw the hood on. Um, this is a thing because it's cold. It's, uh, it's even cold here, but uh, Scott would probably challenge me on that assessment um relative speaking we are both cold yeah it's just yeah, significantly both. colder here than it is there right but uh, i can't go to the track right now because it's too cold so that's sad i mean that's sort of my my standard for cold in the winter in texas is it too cold to go ride motorcycles and it is too cold to go ride motorcycles now so we're just gonna have to talk about like philosophy and other nonsense yeah sad but good (laughs) (laughs) it it is it is so i wanted to talk about uh you you wanted me to come up with like a thing to talk about today and i wanted to talk about adding some philosophical uh concepts and just idea concepts to the decision making process around racing and choosing race cars and choosing what we do with racing and um the reason I wanted to do that is because I think a lot of what we do is just we we don't structure our decision making very well. We just sort of go, "Woo, I like that thing," and then we do that thing, and it leads us down a path that maybe is not the path we we thought we wanted to go down. Mm. Um, and we don't have a lot of intentionality um, in guiding principles in those decision making processes, other than yeah, that's cool. And, um, seems, and I, seems viable. Yeah. <laughs> seems like an interesting it, hypothesis. Yeah. I think we waste a lot of time and energy ending up in places that, that we don't mean to go. Um, and so I think if we sort of like structure our decision-making around like what, what do I think I want out of this and does is making this decision add to or subtract from sort of what I'm trying to do here. We may be better at making decisions. So we're like, you're, you're looking at me with a funny face. Like I'd never even considered that idea. No, no, that's yeah. It's, that's reminding me of, um, of a book I read once, but only maybe, and kind of, I need to hear more. Is, okay. Is what I have is. to put my glasses on because I I, I took I took <laughs> no, notes. I was about to say this was the slowest movie. Putting on glasses to make a dramatic point. It's some it's some Clark Kent stuff. Yeah. So the 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 two like concepts or three concepts I want to talk about today associated with decision making don't make sense initially, but I'll explain them because that's what I do. I want to talk about minimal minimalism, mm-hmm. essentialism. And the idea of minimum viable product associated with our uh, our racing and our decisions. All right, one more time. And what are the three? Minimalism, yep. essentialism, mm-hmm. and minimum viable product. Okay. 
I'm familiar with two all, of those. Yeah, all of these are are aimed at uh, streamlining our decision making process and keeping us from from wandering away from what is what we decide is important to us. Okay. Okay. So um, I'm going to do definitions for each of them as I talk about them. So minimalism. So the best definition I came up with, um, so uh, at its core, being a minimalist means intentionally promoting the things we most value and removing those things that distract us from that. One more time. Uh, Intentionally promoting the things we most value and removing everything that distracts us from that. So this, I don't want to derail too much. Oh, I want you to. Go for but it. But that definition, I think, runs contradictory. Not contradictory. That is definitely a different definition than what I believe we see in America as the minimalist movement. Yeah, and, and there is definitely going to need to be some ex- explanation associated with that because the there's there's two current minimalist thoughts. And the first is sort of an, an aesthetic uh, minimalism, which is sort of taking anything in your life that's that's creating some level of visual clutter and visual confusion and stripping that down to sort of what is the the basics um and we see this a lot in design you see it in apple's design like a white box with a silver apple on it tells you everything you need to know this is an apple product you see it um, when you go into art galleries where it's just like we just have white walls with paintings on them um, there nothing else needs to be done with that you could extend that to to race cars where you have just like a car and it's got a meatball with a number on the side and that's sort of like the minimum you need to define this this vehicle as a race car. Um, because if you take any car and you put a meatball with a number on the side, everybody in the world goes, looks like a race car. Sure. And that's that's sort of the the minimum thing you need to do. But but my my thought process has more to do with the like what is the what is the minimal thing that we need to do to go racing or to go do track day stuff? And as an example, um, when I was autocrossing, I went through a process of when I was learning to autocross, it was like, what do I need to autocross? And they're like, bring your car. Cool. So I showed up with my car and they're like, cool. Also, you probably need like a tire pressure gauge, but I'll loan you one this time. And you need this, but I'll loan you one this time. And you need a helmet and you'll loan it to you. And so you you gradually start to accumulate. You start to be the guy who shows up and he's got, uh, you know, his car. And then he's got a tire pressure gauge. He gets something to put air in his tires. And, you know, like also we need, we're going to run on different tires. So we got to bring four tires and wheels with us. And then we need to bring a jack and we need to bring really a breaker bar to to loosen the lug nuts because, you know, you're, you're, you don't loosen them with a torque wrench. You torque them with a torque wrench, which was also something you have to bring with you. We're not barbarians. Yeah. And, and you have your helmet and then, you know, you have your numbers, but you probably also need to bring some tape just in case you have to put different numbers on the car. And, you know, there's class numbers and maybe you need two different class numbers because you run different classes. If one of your friends are there 
And so now you've got all this stuff and you're starting to put it in bins. And so you got, you know, your bin of, of these things and you probably need to bring an umbrella and a big floppy hat because autocross guys always have a big floppy <laughs> hat. And so all this stuff is taking up a corner in your garage and then it's taking up like half of your garage. And then you're trying to figure out like, do I need like a trailer to tow behind the car? Cause maybe that's easier. Maybe I actually need a trailer to tow behind my truck to put my autocross car in. And now we've gone from Maybe. like, I can just show up and drive to I literally have, you know, the 28 foot box trailer in my yard. And what I think is the a slippery slope and makes it really hard to define and easy to just add the next thing is that every single step in that sounds reasonable. Yeah. Like there's always a good reason to have more. Every addition somehow gets rationalized into making your day easier. Yep. Until you realize that you kind of don't want to go autocrossing because it's such a chore to go autocrossing. It's like a job. Um, and I did get to the point where I finally when I was, when I was autocrossing at the end, I would, I had magnetic numbers and my helmet and I would put numbers and a helmet in the car and I would go autocrossing because the car I was using ran 200 tread with 200 treadwear tires. The events I was going to were close. So it wasn't a big deal to, to drive there on them. Those were actually my daily tires. Um, and what tires anybody, were they at the time? I'm curious. Um, on the Cadillac, they were RS3s, early RS3s. Oh, yeah. Okay. And actually, the last car that I autocrossed um, with any regularity was uh, the Black Miata that I sold to Pete Lindbergh. Mm -hmm. And that was actually running really crappy Westlakes because I was no longer competing for time. I was going for, for car control and driving. And you don't actually need good tires for that. You just need consistent tires. And on that car, the car had just phenomenal consistency and it was slow as shit, but it was really, really good to drive. Sure. Um, and so that car actually had numbers on it all the time. And so to go autocrossing, I literally just had to throw my helmet in the passenger seat and drive to go autocross. And that brought me to kind of where I wanted to be at that point autocrossing because it was just fun for me. And I realized that's not how it is for everybody because there's a competition aspect of it. I was always near people who were preparing, you know, the entire year was preparing for autocross nationals. So, you know, like every event was a learning experience for them and they were trying to do things. Um, so we had different goals and the amount of stuff you needed to to bring to achieve those goals i completely understand were different but i realized that for me with the goal to have a good time and to learn car control i needed almost nothing to achieve my goals other than a car and a helmet um and, I, and that was fun and i think this is part of why it what you're talking about stands in opposition to the capital M minimalist movement in America. Um, because that movement, capital M, 
um, is partially aesthetic. Um, it's very sleek looking. It's very clean. And it often demands that you buy things, which the type of minimalism that you're talking about is a minimalism in choice in terms of these are the things you have, take as little as you need. But the capital M minimalist movement is you really should get this kind of bag because it will allow you to travel lighter to it's got pockets for the few small things that you have, but you should get this kind of bag and this kind of cup because it's made out of recycled stuff and, you know, keeps your drinks nice and cool. So, or warm. So you won't need two. You'll just need this one, but you still have to buy it. And, 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 and that it's actually, it's still consumeristic and capitalistic at its nature. It's but there's still very much a car. There's very much a car version of that too, and you yeah. see that um, with people going. Well, if I just buy a GT3 RS, I'll have all the car I need for everything. I won't need an HPDE car and a track car and an autocross car. Like I have this car, I can commute to work in it. I can go super fast on the track. I can do I can do everything if I just own this one thing. Sure then I will have sorted out all my problems by purchasing this one thing. Um, it's tempting. It is. And and the other thing about, so far we're kind of talking about stuff and not only, and not about uh, events and time choices, that kind of thing. And we're going to get to that. This is going to oh, lead us down that okay. path. And, what the capital M minimalist movement does is that it's actually a movement for um, the privileged. It's the people who can take time off to be mindful, who have the time and space to do meditation, to do yoga, to go on these retreats and center themselves and to eat healthy, simple. Like to, it's, it's a silly statement, but to be able to eat simply and healthy in this country, you either need to own a farm or you spend more money on food than many other people to do that. Minimalism, the way you're describing it and the way you're interacting with it is, is very much one of those money can solve problems yes. movements. Um, like if you have enough money, you can make things very simple. Right. Right. Um, I don't think it has to be that way. And, and in racing, the, the ultimate minimalism for racing is, of course, uh, for wheel-to-wheel type racing is uh, arrive and drive. I'm going to write a check. I'm going to show up with my fire suit oh, and my sure. helmet. And um, like I don't have to have a garage to put a car in. I don't have to have tools to prep it. All I need to own is a fire suit and a helmet and have people that I trust um, and write them a check and, um, racing can be at that level can be phenomenally simple. Um, you just need money to make it happen. I was about to say, I mean, none of that sounds bad. <laughs> it's... It, it doesn't. And we'll get to why it might be bad though. Um, a little later on. Okay. All right. So, so that's the next thing. So that's minimalism. Next, 
that's that's sort of like the introduction for for minimalism and how sort of like is more things and more complication making this better the next thing you put my glasses back on for this because i can't read it without my glasses because okay um if you couldn't find them though yeah they were on my leg i could that's a problem like if you can't see things can you see your glasses it's terrible you're talking to somebody who can't see past their own nose without my contact so i get all right so i am going to butcher the next one is essentialism and i'm going to butcher this because essentialism is used in a lot of different uh places it's used in um a lot of educational theory and some other uh psychiatric stuff um i'm going to use a very narrow definition of it to prove my point because that's like the best kind of argument <laughs> so uh essentialism is is the idea that people and things have natural characteristics that are inherent and unchanging so essentialism allows people to categorize or put individual items or even people into groups which is an important function of our brains um and we could go down a in a phenomenal rabbit hole with that into some very dark and terrible places but it's about the, to say that i think you rattled a memory from my under one of my undergrad philosophy classes with this term now so keep going maybe you'll uh maybe we'll get some more stuff out of there and so where i wanted to go with that is that that there are there are things that are essentially race car and there are things that are essentially not. Um, and it's pretty easy for people to put those into perspective when they see them and when they think about them. Um, if you see an open wheel car, it is a race car. Yes. If you see a Honda fit, it is not a race car. It's true. I this and this is coming from somebody who has a deep affection for the Sunday Cuppers. Uh, now, they can be raced. They can be raced, but that doesn't. They're they're not fundamentally essentially race cars, even though you can go race them. Sure. And we can all look through Instagram and find somebody who's managed to put turn signals on an open wheel car and street register it. Sure. But that's, that's a race car. It is, it has a place where it's meant to be. It's got a function it's meant to do. Um, Fits are meant to drive old people to the library and they're good at it. I mean, right? Like, because they're around town cars. If you've ever done a bunch of freeway miles in a fit, you're like, yeah, this is really an around town car. Yeah, they're they're not great for that. Um, it's and the the reverse is also reminding me. You know, the essentially a race car. It's reminding me of the uh, homologation specials. Yeah, for the rally cars and the Le Mans prototype cars and like all that stuff. Where okay, we have to make ten, so we're gonna lift it up, give it some really stupid wheel gap because that's the only way you're going to get over the speed bumps. We're going to put some turn signals on it. Um, we're going to take away all the little buttons and doodads on the steering wheel. And we're going to put like a millimeter of sound deadening in it and call it done. Yeah. 
Yeah, and there's there's some very famous cars that are built like that. They're they're clearly built to be race cars. Yes. Yeah, we've um, the only recent, done this because we want to go race these cars. Yeah, the most recent Ford GT is probably one of the ones that you look at. Sure. And like like that is a car that was built to go race endurance racing the end like we'll sell them as street cars but even when i look at those as street cars they're like an inch and a half higher than they should be they look so weird as street cars um when they're in stock form and you look at the aerodynamics associated with them and just a whole bunch of features on the car and they're kind of like i mean we'll sell you a street car but we did this so we could go win races like that's why it exists um and and I think it helps with the decision-making process when we do, when we're getting into racing, um, there is an aspect of falling in love with particular cars. And we have to ask ourselves why we're falling in love with particular cars and do we want to continue that relationship into a racing relationship? Um, Hmm. And and some people are better. We've had guests on our show that we've we've certainly heard people go. A car is a tool. Buy the best tool for the job. The end. Don't get emotionally attached to it. Sure. And we've had people who have had cars for thirty years because they just love them, and and they're going to do the thing they love with the thing they love, whether or not that makes any sense at all. Um, but I think really analyzing ourselves and our decisions can keep us from going down going down a hole that that doesn't make much sense ending up in a place where we don't want to end up um certainly when i had the the cadillac ctsv wagon that was the first car that i tracked um and it didn't take me long to realize that making a ctsv wagon into a good track car would be a terrible terrible idea a um, big undertaking <laughs> Yeah, like it was a good street car to drive on the track. But that didn't make it a good track car. Sure. Um, And there's a lot of cars that fall into that. Like that's a good street car that you can drive on the track. Doesn't make it in in doing that within that box is fine. Um, Like going and doing HPDE stuff, going and doing some time trial stuff with with street cars that that are good to drive on the track, I think is an excellent way to spend your time. As long as you are honest with yourself that that's what you're doing. You know, if you, if you go buy a car and we talk about ruining cars, right. And I think that's the the thing. Like I bought a street car and now it's ruined because it's now a good track car and it's no longer a good street car. And I know the moment where that happened to the Miata. It yeah. took it took some introspection and stuff. Oddly enough, it was not the suspension. It was the air dam and the associated it, bits with the air yeah. dam. Because all of a sudden this piece has to fit with this piece, has to fit with that piece. And if anything happens to one, it happens to the other. But it was all stuff I made. And you had to be careful over bumps now. You had to be <laughs> a lot like it turned into a better track car. But it was at that moment that it stopped being a very good street car. Were you ready for it when it happened? No. 
no, I, di- I didn't know. Again, it was it's it was just the next step. It was just this will make it do this better. It'll help it cool better. You know, maybe get a little bit more front bite and stuff, and yeah, it'll be fine. So I think there's there's definitely some some reason to look at what something is fundamentally versus what we wish it will be, and and maybe starting with something that is closer to what we wish it shall be to start with and save ourselves a bunch of, of headache and problems. And, and there, there's a reason to save that. Like I'm, there's reasons to just stay with your passion project and I get that, but at the end I'll sort of talk about why maybe that's not a good idea. So are you, are you saying we should all go out and buy TCR cars? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. (laughs) There is, again, this is a case where, where money just made your life a lot easier it's i mean all of a sudden like yes street-based car but like factory built race car man when you look in a tcr car like pretty that's a race car it's pretty yeah it's been done Um, properly and anybody would look at you could show a show that to an eight-year-old open the door show an eight-year-old and they'll be like that's a race car Damn right, that's a race car. Everybody knows it's a race car. Right. All okay, right. so the last thing I want to talk about is the the idea of a minimum viable product. And it, it, I might have touched on that a little bit with minimal, minimalism, but it's it's sort of a it's something to to think about beyond just the the race car. And so, minimum viable product is used a bunch in the tech industry. And it's referred to as an early or basic version of a product that meets the minimum necessary requirements for use, but can be adapted and improved in the future. So like, what's the least that I need to have this thing work and happen? And with my autocross example, that's really easy to go like, I need a car with wheels, the end. We've seen people autocross some of the most bizarre things like show up with your mom's cutlass and be like, it's a car. I'm going to go autocross. It's awesome. Yeah. Bizarre. Yeah. I wouldn't have chosen bizarre, but yes. Yeah. But, but, but if you're like a car guy who's into cars and people show up, it'd be an odd choice. It would be an odd choice because you're like, why did you do that? And they're like, because this morning in the driveway, that's what was there. And so like, yeah, that's, that's like what I needed to participate was there. So I did it. Um, but I think looking, looking beyond just car choice, but looking beyond looking to like, what is, what do I need to do maintenance on my car? And what's a really cool set of tools are different questions. Um, I see people show up to the track with toolboxes that have that are like auto technician level toolboxes mm-hmm. and their car has six fastener sizes on it. And and they just hauled 350 pounds of tools when they could they could literally take every socket that it takes to take their car apart and put it in their pants pocket. And, um, you, you and I have been the, talking a lot about tools and organization recently. We, we have been, but, but it's, we, 
I think there there are times when we tend to want to buy cool race car things mm-hmm. that are more than necessary to do what we want to do. Um, and this is a case where spending money is not actually solving a problem other than making us feel cool about having race car stuff. Um, we've certainly watched people put, put a big old wing on a car and have to dial all of the, the wing out of it because it's adding, it's, it's just adding downforce to a part of the car where it doesn't need downforce at all. Right. Um, I've watched how many times have we watched people strip the interior out of a car so it will be lighter and then have to add ballast back into it. And there's, sure. there's reasonable reasons like you're moving weight lower in the car, blah, blah, blah. But, but the headlights, just... headlights and GLTC. Yeah. Take out the headlights. Like, you have to ballast anyway, and you need headlights in some circumstances. Right. So you're, you're doing things that are not, they, they're not, it's time and effort that is not the minimum of what needs to be done. And, and sometimes doing the minimum of what needs to be done makes sense because you never quite get everything done. Spending a bunch of time stripping out a car and making fake headlights and doing all of that when you haven't really figured out how to do alignments in your garage and set things like that, your, your time and effort, and we do have a limited amount of time, is being spent doing cool shit rather than stuff that actually makes us better at what we're doing. And we kind of like arguably the, the idea is we want to be better at what we're doing. Maybe we do just want to be cool. I don't know. Well, yes, I, I think at the, at the core of a lot of us, like the sense of belonging, which is another way of saying cool, uh, is a thing. The, you know, what you're talking about instantly, made me think of the brake lines that I'm doing right now. And I've seen some amazing brake line bending on the internet, like some real true works of art um, where everything's like super parallel and like little tiny (laughs) bends just to get around things. And then like it breaks off in a way that makes sense. And that was like clearly thought through like from the, like somebody mapped this out on a piece of paper or a CAD program before they did it. Um, Brake line number two for me, I was like, we're not doing that. <laughs> we, I don't have time or the patience to do it to that level. But I hope and I think that I will be able to do it well and make it functional and make it work. And so it won't rub anything. And so it won't catch on fire. I can do that level, but like making it Instagram worthy and like, you know, look, look at my brake line job. It's not, it's not where I'm at with the, uh, the brake lines. You could, but it would probably take several iterations and a bunch of time yes. and a bunch of effort. And that's probably not the product that you really want to work with right now. Well, it's not the product and it's not. So the resources I can put into it being time and money, um, 
I have other things to do. Um, like I have to remind people, like I have a family, <laughs> right? I, I have a job that like when I'm there, like I, I can think about car stuff, but like I can't, cannot do car stuff while I'm at work. Yeah. Like I can't even research things unless I'm taking a quick lunch break or something. So like my time is limited to the evenings. So that's really where I was going with a lot of this, like the having an idea and a philosophy of, of between all three of these ideas that, that there is sort of an, an enough is enough. And the, the reason to really to aim for a point where enough is enough is to free up time and, in other resources, emotional resources, um, and to get to the point where you're, where you go, that brake line is good. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to make another one. Um, and I so I, hopefully, yeah, you, we're going to put fluid in it and test it at some point. So that'll be exciting. Yep. Um, but that's it. Like, like, you know, you know where you want to end up and when you end up there, you're fine. And if we can extend that thought process further into our racing, like where do we want to go in racing? And we've talked about this before, you know, there's, there's, there's a straight line between I went to my first autocross and I'm paying for a ride in IMSA. Like you can, there are people that definitely do that, but where is it? I think we, I think at some point we all are like, I definitely could drive an IMSA and that would be great. But the the reality of it is... I don't think anyone is, here. <laughs> I think I could, but it would take a lot of money and a lot of time. Right. And and that's the thing, is you already have the realization that, that that's not the end point for you. Um, and oddly, I think there's more people in the GLTC paddock who realize that than there are in, in a beginner group of autocross who are kind of like, I mean, maybe. Maybe. If maybe. things go right. After this autocross, I'll do well enough. Headed to the pros, <laughs> which is sounds ridiculous, and almost nobody says it out loud, but it's in the back of your head. It might be the uh, the the knowledge curve of death, like the real peak at the top of Mount Stupid, where right. you you think you you've got it all. Yeah, I could do that. Give me the chance. See? I'll go. I see that a bunch in, with people getting into karting because like common knowledge, everybody knows everyone who drives in formula one started in karting. Yep. And so you get people who show up and are like, that's it. I'm going to do karting. This is it. This is how you do it. And you show up and, you, and you're driving around a, a two Oh six, four stroke cart that you just got in your, in your late twenties or early thirties. And part of your brain goes, this is it. This is how you get good at stuff. And the reality is you started about 25 years too late and without the backing of multimillionaire parents and probably with a significant lack of talent. Um, but it doesn't feel like that the first time you get out there. You, your, your brain goes, maybe. 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 But hope, if we hope hope has to spring eternal, I mean, it does. 
as long as it doesn't like drive us into debt or like ruin relationships. Oh, but that happens all the time. Yeah. Like I, we've been able to watch that happen in real time with people we know. Yeah. Um, and, and I, so I think being sort of having a philosophy, like what, what do I want out of this? What am I willing to give to achieve that? And establishing those boundaries can keep us on, on a reasonable track for, for what we want to do with a hobby. Sustainability. Um, yeah, sustainability, but sustainability is something that we, that we always talk about. But I think even more realistically, not having to go over the edge to realize what sustainability is to go, you know, somebody's like, oh, there's this good race car for sale. And it'll probably be competitive here. And to have you go, those things are all true, but I don't have the resources or the the desire to be the kind of racer that races that kind of car competitively. Um, and the first time you see a radical come up for, you know, a price where you're like, I, I could actually swing that. Like I could, I know how much I spend on a car. I could buy a radical. I don't want to put in the time <laughs> and effort and emotional stress that it would take to really learn how to drive a car with those dynamics and that kind of downforce. It's like, it's a full at my age and my skill level. That's like a multi-year commitment of hours and hours and hours in cubic dollars to just learn to be moderately competent in a car like that. And I don't want to give that much of myself to racing to get there. Purchasing the car is a tiny, tiny part of that. I yes. I've realized. Yes. Um, yeah, and that that is huge. And and it's that way for me with motorcycles right now. It's it's the same way. The there are multiple reasons that I don't race bikes on big tracks, but a big part of that is the the emotional and financial commitment to to running events that cost that much more money. Um, to racing bikes at speeds that that are significantly more dangerous to come off at, mm-hmm. um, to learning a skill set that I don't have right now. I can't ride a 200 horsepower superbike right now. Um, can't, don't have the skills for it. Um, and the what it takes to learn those things is a bunch of track time, is a bunch of money, is definitely some professional instruction is the I'm going to come off a bike at 150 miles an hour in that learning process. And all of the things necessary to do that are not things. I want to say all of them, but a bunch of those things are not things that I wish to do in my journey as a motorcycle rider. Um, I don't want to put that stress on my wife. I don't want to put that stress on my relationship uh, with my wife and with my family to do those sorts of things. And that's as much as there's some really cool motorcycles for sale out there. Right. Um, I've, I have a couple, you know, nineties era Ducatis that I just love, 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 love. And, but I don't have a place in my life for them. And so I don't purchase them. They're well within my ability to, to purchase them. 
but I don't want to become the person that's good at writing them because I, I know it would ask from me. And it's, it's these, it's the idea that, that I would have to add so much to my life. I would have to add things from that minimalism thing. I would, I would genuinely have to add a, a good race suit with an airbag in it. Um, I would have to go spend $2,500 on a race suit that I would feel comfortable with going those speeds and coming off the bike. Um, I would have to be spending a bunch more on tires. I would have to, I would just have to add a whole bunch of equipment to my life outside the motorcycle. Um, From a time standpoint, I would have to commit weekends, whole weekends to racing. You and I have talked about the fact that it's the second day of, of learning that you learn the most, your, your brain really cements those connections. And so I would have to commit to entire weekends away for a year or two years um, of doing this, you know, 10 or 12 weekends a year minimum to really start to build those, those, those neural connections that I need to get good at that stuff. And, um, I'm not willing to do that. So I, so I don't start down the path. Like people are like, why don't you go do one track day? And I'm like, because I know that one track day isn't enough for me. It would have to be, I would have to get into it enough to do it in a way that makes me happy. And that's not achievable for me. Um, and so I save a whole bunch of money and I save a whole bunch of time and I structure my life in a way that I have extra space in the garage and I have, uh, I have time to spend with my family and I have emotional bandwidth. Um, and that's really the, the idea behind all of these things is, is saving time and saving money and saving emotional bandwidth so that your life outside of racing can be as fulfilling as your life within racing. Because I think we make a, we make a deal with the devil sometimes where in order to get where we want to get in racing, we lose some of what we want, where we want to get to in life. Um, Because racing takes so much from us that we don't have the, the, the money and the emotional energy to get where we want in life. We've all seen people purchase race cars and trailers and trucks and look at the amount of money they have in that and go, why didn't buy a house? because I chose to go racing, um, which is a completely valid thing to do. I'm not saying anybody should make the, should make it the decision in a different way, make the decision that's right for you, but acknowledge but realize the fact, that there is a decision to be made. Yeah. You're, you are making that decision. A lot of people are making that decision. Um, I've talked about it with paying for my kids' education. I could I could probably have a really nice bookshelf with plastic trophies on it, and my kids could have uh, student loans. And that would be a decision that I could make. And and I am making that decision. I don't have I don't have all those plastic trophies because I don't didn't buy a radical and dedicate my time to learning to drive an aero car. So um, I think it's something to think about. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. It um it reminds me of a quote from a old very popular book, which is "Begin with the end in mind." Mm. It's whatever you set out to start, whatever you set out to begin, know where you want to end up. And there's always room for spontaneity and creativity along the way, but. 
I didn't get into racing to become a pro. I got into racing because it gave me a creative, independent outlet that was good and healthy for me. So my, my challenge question to you, Scott, is if you spent half as much money and half as much time, could you be as satisfied with racing as you are right now? Next week, we'll... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have to put genuine thought into that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't have ABS. That's true. So oh, I can't wait to hear how much you like that. I can't wait to see if it works. Is let's start there. <laughs> see if all the brake fluid stays in the car. <laughs> brake fluid is step one. So, um, yeah, let us know uh, your life's decisions. What have you cut out, or what have you not put into racing or to driving a track car? Uh, why have you chosen the car that you did, or did you intentionally do it? Um. Yeah, there's a lot of questions to come out of this one. So pick your favorite and uh let us know. I think it'd be I think it'd be good to hear. So uh we are at Trackwalking Podcast and Trackwalking Chats on the Facebook is where we hang out and stuff. Uh feel free to drop us a meme. It's always fun to uh to see that. I do love the memes. We do. Um so really, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, for the two of us, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. We're track walking. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>